Good morning, Springs Community Church. So excited to be with you guys. My name's John. I'm pastor here at the Springs. If it's your first time with us, welcome. If you've been coming a long time, welcome back. I want to start our time by reading through the passage that we're going to be in today. If you would, please grab your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. Paul writing to his mentee, church planter Timothy, in description of his life. He says this starting in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this uh, proclamation of truth as we even look at and we reflect on Paul's life as he's looking back in the sense of amazing fulfillment and almost peacefulness he has. Lord, I'd ask that you would use this time as we examine your word to think through how can we as followers of you grow in that same sense of contentment in fulfillment. Father, I also pray for those who are watching this, who are at home, whether they be young, kiddos, students, wherever they may be, or older, would you lead those in faith if they don't know you? We need your help to do that. We love you so much knowing you love to show up and help us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, I have been looking forward to this passage for quite some time. You see, I've read this passage before. I've read this passage recently, and it's always struck me as this amazing moment. You see, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this, and if if you've been journeying with us through 2 Timothy, you'll know this. He's writing this letter as he sits in Emperor Nero's prison cell. He's writing this letter as he anticipates, as he awaits the loss of his life. And there's this moment where he looks back and he describes his life as being poured out as a drink offering. And he says, hey, I have fought the fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I long for Jesus Christ. It's this moment where he knows death is coming. And he has this amazing sense of peacefulness, contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment. It's almost as if he's looking back on life and he doesn't have any sense of regret. Now, here's what's true about Paul. Paul was an imperfect man. He had sin in his life. I absolutely believe there were moments in Paul's life as he looked back, as he reflected, where he would have thought, man, I wish I would have done that point different or this point different. But what's beautiful about Paul, uh, what he wrote to Timothy here, what's beautiful about it is you just have this sense of peacefulness and contentment in fulfillment, the direction of his life, he has this view of almost, I didn't waste a second of it, especially since he'd become a believer. That's something for myself, that's something for many people who are followers in Christ, that is my prayer, that we would finish well. We would finish well. And guys, even in my line of work, having the privilege to walk with folks through those latter stages of life where they come and they either by faith greet death as a friend, taking them to a place of citizenship where they belong, or pleading with those, encouraging them to come to faith, be reconciled to Christ. Death has this amazing thing where if you have that awareness of it, it can bring a sense of clarity to life. 
Now, I share that. I know that when death comes, and this is the tragedy of it, we don't always know. It can be sudden, it can be unexpected, and it can be painful. But in this instance right here, we have this uniqueness with Paul where he believes, he anticipates, he knows death is coming, and it will come for him, and it will come soon. And so he has this moment where he can reflect back on life and see, despite the death, the beauty and the faithfulness that he has lived in and he has walked in, how he is finishing well because he's lived well. Death, it brings that sense of clarity. It removes hypocrisy. This week as I was thinking about this passage, I came across a a note that a scholar had. How, How people, even on their deathbed, influential leaders, conquerors, It brings a sense of clarity to him. This is what Napoleon wrote, the one who conquered much of Europe. He wrote this on his deathbed. Napoleon writes, I die before my time. My body will be given back to the earth to become the food of worms. Such is the fate which soon awaits the great Napoleon. The great Napoleon, he views himself as one who will still just go to the worms. Death brings clarity when you reflect on life. Gandhi, Gandhi, the world-renowned Hindu religious leader that used a nonviolent movement to bring down the British Empire in many ways in India, he wrote this, my days are numbered. I'm likely not to live very long, perhaps a year or a little more. Now hear this. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the slough of despond, depression. All about me is darkness. I am praying for light. Guys, do you see here how even in the midst of these world-renowned, these conquerors, these leaders, these empire builders, in the latter stages of life, when the reality of death really begins to set in, they reflect on it with a new sobriety, a new clarity. They don't carry the same tone as Paul. They don't carry the same heart of I have run the race, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have been poured out, I have longed for His appearing. Just a totally different tone. Here's why I start with this. I want to finish well. As as a younger man, as one following after Christ, you never know how many years God has numbered your You never know what that looks like, but you pray for the faithfulness to finish well. I pray for every member of the Springs that we have the faithfulness to finish well. That when there's moment, and I know it's a hypothetical situation, I understand that death is not always this way, but the moment where in the future, if you have this privilege You and I, we could look back and we could reflect on life knowing we were imperfect, knowing there are things we wish we could do differently, but knowing that upon knowing Christ, we set the direction of our life towards faithfulness. And there was a sense of fulfillment, contentment, and glory to God because of it. Today, guys, we are going to talk about how living well gives you the privilege of dying well. Living well grants you the privilege of dying well.
I don't want to come and glorify death and the tragedy and the pain. Please, if that's what you're hearing, set that aside. I'm speaking to the beauty, though, of how the Apostle Paul, this church leader who had endured suffering, stoning, beating, left for dead, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, who'd been through it all, he sits in a cell as he writes to a spiritual son, as he calls that spiritual son to faithfulness, knowing the cost that it will bring the cost that he has paid his entire life since knowing Christ and having a sense of fulfillment, poured as a drink offering, fought the good fight, run the race. Church, living well grants you the privilege of dying well. We're going to see how Paul exemplified that in his life in three ways. First way he did that is he's going to remind you and I, how do we come and we live well? We give it all. The second thing that he's going to show us through really the character of his life is don't lose focus. And the final one is live for, or excuse me, long for Christ. Let's jump back in your Bible. I'm going to read verse 6, then we're going to work our way through it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writing to Timothy, describing his life. He says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is come. Guys, we see here that living well grants you this privilege of dying well. And what Paul, he's really calling to here in verse 6 is this mark, this characteristic of his life. What it looked like for him to live well meant give it all. Give it all. See, Paul, he's reflecting on his current situation. He knows that his life is about to be taken from him, and yet he looks back with this sense of almost contentment and joy at how he'd been a sacrifice long before this moment. Paul starts it there in verse 6. He's using this Old Testament sacrificial language. He says, for I am already being poured out is a drink offering. For many of you who know your Old Testament, a Hebrew call to worship, there were drink offerings where you would come and it was a certain concoction and you would pour it out on a burning altar as a sacrificial act of worship to God. Paul is saying, that was my life. Paul is showing how an aspect of living well was giving it all, coming in and saying, I am the sacrifice on behalf of others Jesus, he has this beautiful line, this beautiful line where he says, there's no greater love than he that laid down his life for another. Now, Jesus, he is the fulfillment, the embodiment of that line. But in his legacy, Paul has lived that way too. What does this mean for you and me? We give it all. Our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are meant to be a living sacrifice. And I love the beauty of this because right after that, Paul, he even understands his situation in his context. Right here in verse 6, he says, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knows death awaits him. Paul knows death is coming quickly. And in the midst of that sobering reality, he's looking back and saying, I am still being poured out as a drink offering. He's not angry with God. He's acknowledging the truth of what God has done. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's this amazing thing in living well. Living well means you are not living for yourself. 
Like it's this funny thought that we have as Americans, that I have as an individual, that the Apostle Paul, he, he would have never had. See, we tend to talk about, and we've referenced this before, like a bucket list. Like my bucket list would be, I'd want to go to Australia to dive the Great Barrier Reef. I'd want to go to South Africa to come and swim with great sharks without a cage. I would want to come and race a Ferrari around a Grand Prix track going as fast as I possibly could. Those would be really fun. Honestly, I think that'd be wonderful. But the Apostle Paul shows something different here. He shows how his bucket list, the things that he aspired to do before his passing, they weren't for him. They were for others. Why? He knew that in order to live well is to give it all. To give it all, it's to give it sacrificially. His life was the sacrifice. Christian, do you know that your life is not about you? My life is not about me. I'm meant to serve, care, pour out, sacrifice on behalf of, give life to, even at the cost of my own others. Why? That's what Christ has done for me. It's what he's done for you. I, I heard this story once that always stuck with me that I thought was pretty funny. It's a story of a chicken and a cow, so stay with me. A chicken and a cow, they're walking down the road. They pass a grocery store. On the grocery store, there is this sign that says, eggs and beef desperately needed. Eggs and beef desperately needed. They read this. Chicken turns to cow. Yes, the chicken and the cow can talk. The chicken turns to cow and says, hey, cow, I'm willing to give my, uh, excuse me, the sign said, eggs and beef desperately needed. Ah, I gave that away a little bit. Eggs and beef desperately needed. The chicken turns to the cow and he says, hey, I'm willing to give my eggs. Are you willing to give your beef? The cow turns to the chicken. He says, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to give beef. Of course, you're willing to give eggs. Why? That's just a contribution. But to give beef is to give myself. Hey, if the grocery wants some milk, sure, they can take it. But they can't get the beef. I use that as an example because I think so many times that's the way Christians view their life. You see, there's aspects of it where we want to come and we know we're supposed to give. We know we're supposed to live sacrificially. And we give the easy parts. We give the contributions Church, an aspect of living well is knowing you are a living sacrifice. It's not parts of you. It's all of you. It's this amazing thing because I have the privilege of talking with uh, community group leaders and, and leaders of ministry and other pastors, and there's always this sense where you come, and they come and they talk about, well, this is so difficult, or, or this is so hard, or people won't listen, or I'm trying my best, and no one seems to really care. What does it look like? Why does it continue to be a struggle? When does it just get easier? And I often read this passage, and I tell them, keep going. And then there's this language where we all internally feel, well, man, I never signed up for this. I never signed up to be the sacrifice. No, here's what I'm telling you. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, he made you the living sacrifice. The one who sacrificed all for you bids you and I be poured out as a drink offering on the altar of others. For who? For the glory of God and the good of our soul. Living well grants the privilege of dying well. We are called to this church. How do we do that? We give it all. Let's look at verse 7. Let's look at verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Paul going on, he says, I just love this language. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Right here, guys, is we see that living well grants the privilege of dying well. The next thing we see, if last time what we reflected on is we give it all, our life is a living sacrifice. This next one we see is this general theme to what what I'm going to call don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. You see, before, Paul was talking about his present circumstances. Now he's referencing his past. See right here, Paul, he reflects on his past, but this is, again, we're seeing that sense of like righteous fulfillment, this no regret, knowing he was imperfect, but looking back with this peaceful sense of faithfulness, with the direction of his life, he sought to be marked and used by God. And he describes it in three ways. The first one, he says, I have fought the good fight. It's this fight for faithfulness in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Fought here, it's interesting in the Greek, it's actually where we get the word agonizing, agonized over. What did Paul's life agonize over? The good fight. I love that your Bible describes it as the good fight. See, not all fights are worth getting into, okay? Many you should talk your way out of, you should walk your way out of, you should run your way out of, but sometimes there are situations where what are you called to do? You are called to lean in, and Paul is recognizing the good fight, the fight on behalf of his faithfulness a growth in Jesus Christ, a love of him, and faithfulness in the lives of others. That was worth agonizing over. Don't lose focus that the reality of running after Jesus Christ, living well, it can be agonizing, but you are agonizing over something beautiful, divine, and eternal. Fight the good fight. He then says, I have run the race. I really think about running the race almost with this sense of purpose, focus, in direction. See, what's true of a runner? And they had athletes, then they had the Olympics. They, they, this would have been a common language. Paul uses this metaphor repeatedly throughout the New Testament. He's run the race. There's training, there's preparation, there's direction, there is a finish line, there is a reward on the other side, there is a path that you take in a race that you run. Now, what's true about races, especially today, if you're on a track, short races. If you go into someone else's lane, you're disqualified. We so quickly have a tendency, even in our world, to be dragged into other lanes, to be taken off mission, out of focus, to where the world wants to come and tell you, no, 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 your purpose in life is to just make sure you're as happy as possible. No, 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 your purpose in life is to get to know God, glorify Him, and then help others come to know Him. No, no, your, your purpose in parenting is to make your kids happy enough to where when they get older, you can make sure you pay for college, you set them up, and then they like you enough to when they come and see you Christmas, Thanksgiving, they enjoy. Hey, I'm all for family love. I am all about it. No, no, your purpose in parenting is to raise up disciples, sending them out into the world like arrows out of the hand of a warrior. You are raising disciples. Your purpose in being part of a church body is so you can feel good, get a teaching that you like, come get connected. Don't get pushed too hard. No, 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 no. You are on mission. You are meant to give your life in a corporate body doing the exact same thing, living well, that we might die well. We don't lose focus. And then he says, I have kept the faith. It's this interesting language because at first you almost think, wait, 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 could Paul have lost his faith? No, no, no. If you understand this, that's not what Paul's saying. (coughs) Excuse me. What Paul's saying here is to have kept It means to to watch over, to guard, to oversee. 
The faith here is he is speaking to the message of faith, the truth of God's word, that throughout Paul's life, he has guarded over the majesty of the true news of Jesus Christ, his message, his coming. It's what he's preached. It's what he's told. It's what he has protected. Paul did not allow other people to confuse, to mess with the beautiful things of eternity. Kept the faith. Don't lose focus. This is, this is an aspect of living well. One of my favorite verses I can remember coming across when I became a uh, believer in Jesus was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, many of us, we know verses 8 and 9. It's this beautiful reference of grace and what it means. And then verse 10, it comes and it speaks to what God intends for your life and intends for my life. It says in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we, believers in Jesus Christ, we are his workmanship. We are God's poetry. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, have you ever thought about the good works that God has prepared in advance before you? The ones that he would have you walk in by faith, not to earn salvation because you have salvation. Have you ever thought about that path? Paul wrote this letter, this one out of the line in Ephesians. And he wrote this one in 2 Timothy a long time later. What if that path that God would have you walk on for good works could be described by, I have fought the good fight agonizing. I have finished the race. When was the last time you ran? It's exhausting. I have kept the faith. I have guarded over it. As the assaults came, I held up that shield of faith and I guarded over it. What if that language is used to describe the path you're on? Don't lose focus. A buddy of mine, Jonathan Dennis, he's a pastor on staff. He's an amazing man of faith. He leads a ministry on Monday nights called Regeneration and Discipleship One. We were here Monday, myself and Leslie, we were kind of talking. Jonathan came in. He was a little later than normal. He was getting ready for regeneration. But immediately, we could just look at him and see, okay, something was wrong. Something was off. See, Jonathan, if you know him, he's always happy. He's like that fun guy, brings all the energy to the room. And we could immediately tell, okay, something's just not right. We asked him what was going on, and here's what had happened. He'd just come from an hours-long worth of conflict, disagreement, and hardship with his wife. Now, they'd worked through it. The, the kind of fight of it was over. The difficulty of it was over. The way they were talking with one another, tones had come down. Things had settled down. And so he'd got in the car and he drove back here. But you could just see on him, there was still this tension, this angst, and this lack of unity and reconciliation. We started talking with him a little about it, and he real quickly came to realize that he wasn't at peace. He wasn't reconciled. Now, here's the beauty of Jonathan. Jonathan, right after that, he was supposed to go and lead a group of leaders in an act of worship and connection with God who would then oversee the spiritual care of regeneration. And Jonathan in faithfulness knew, hey, I've got no business going to lead them in faithfulness when I need to go home and lead myself, my wife, and my family in faithfulness. And in that faithfulness, repentance. So Jonathan left. We made other uh, preparations and care for that leader meeting and he went home. He said he went home, and right like all conflict, he did not want to go. There's that feeling of almost leaning back into the fight, to the race, to guarding over the faith and watching it. But he knew that was the right thing to do. 
He said he goes back and he talks with his wife, and yes, it gets tense, it gets difficult. But what happens over time? They're yielding the Holy Spirit. God's bringing a sense of unity. And he smiled as he told the story. He said, yeah, man. It ended with kind words, laughter, and a kiss on the cheek. He said it was probably one of the best examples in their marriage of how they've resolved conflict. He said when he got out and he got in his car, he just sat in his car for a minute before he came because he had to come back and be a part of that ministry to drive back, and he just started laughing to himself. He started laughing to himself as he just reflected on how good God is, how the joy that God had brought, how even though he'd gone and he'd fought that good fight, he'd leaned back in. He, had, he continued running the race. He didn't lose focus. He knew holiness mattered more than just, hey, man, we can act like we're not fighting, sweep it under the rug and just keep moving on. And he knew it meant more. See, church, I share that because as we call to faithfulness, to living well, to not losing focus, it is a call to fight, agonizing pursuit of the good fight. It is a call to run, to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, to disciple and instruct others. It is a call to guard the good deposit. It is a call to guard over the faith, the truth, to represent that that can feel discouraging and exhausting. But here's what you need to know. Why does God call you to living well? Because he knows the beauty, the joy, the peacefulness, the contentment, the happiness, the laughter in the car, the intimacy with the reconciled wife, the connection where the family sees what it looks like for mom and dad to actually live in harmony, not fake peace, the community group that hears the story that's discipled by the same effort, the pastor that notices and says, I want to do the same thing in my life brings that joy. Living well does not mean living easy. Do you see how Paul, he's differentiating? Living well does not mean living easy. But I assure you, it is always living better. It is living with a sense where your past decisions don't haunt you, where regret is not a stain on you that you cannot wash off. It is living with a sense where you say, I'm not going to lose focus. i got a mission. i got a king who loves me, and I'm running. Church, I want to, I want for us, living well grants this privilege of dying well, this hypothetical moment that Paul had, and maybe we will, maybe we won't, but where we can look back and say, okay, I have run the race. And what marks it? Give it all. What marks it? Don't lose focus. There's a final mark. We see it in verse 8. Read this with me. I, I love this verse. Verse 8 as we jump into it. Henceforth, so because of and therefore, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Crown of righteousness laid up as an award that the Lord will lay on Paul at the day when he returns. And not just him, but to all of those who loved his appearing. So guys, as we see how living well, it grants this privilege of dying well. The third mark and characteristic of Paul's life where we really see this, it's not just give it all, it's not just don't lose focus, but there's this longing. We are called to long 
for Christ, to love his appearing, to anticipate, to long for. And here's why I love this. You can't fake this. You can't. Some of us, we even try. We try to work ourselves in emotion. No, this is speaking to a real sense of desire, commitment, and connection with Christ. You long for that moment. As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Or King David, as David's prayer, he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will always seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty and to meditate in his temple What's the third way that we live well? What's the third thing that must mark us is we must long for Christ. See, I would use the word love, but love in the English language, it can be so too shallow. It cannot carry enough. I'm speaking to the longing, not as in you don't have him and you want him, but as in the sense I have him and one day I will have all of him. I will see him face to face. Long for Christ. This is where Paul, he looked at his past He looked at his present, and now he's referencing his future. Right here, we see Paul. He sets his eyes to the future, and he's anticipating the day when Christ will fully crown him with righteousness. You see, this is this moment where Paul, he's not anticipating he receives this crown on the day of his death. He's anticipating he receives this crown on the day of Christ's return. And what is this crown? This crown is this moment where Christ will come and bestow the crown on Paul. What does that crown represent? See, scholars, they talk about it in two ways. They can talk about, is this a crown, a direct reward for? Paul, he ran the race. He fought the good fight. He kept the faith. Or is this more in reference to just a crown of righteousness that Paul fully receives and the reality of the future kingdom that all believers receive? I think the context here answers that for us. This crown represents this gift of righteousness that Jesus Christ gives to all of those who believe in him. How do we know that? By the way Paul ends this. He says, not just for me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's this beauty where Paul reflects on the truth, where followers of Jesus Christ, we love his appearing. It's this idea that Paul, he's coming in and he's almost reflecting to Timothy. He's saying, hey, Timothy, one day there's this crown that awaits you. There's this crown that awaits me. I know life is difficult. I know life can be hard. But in the midst of the hardship, there's joy, there's peace, there's beauty in all of it. I know it's hard. But hey, Timothy, Timothy, trust me. It's worth it. Trust me. Keep going. Paul has this eternal perspective that he looks to, that he sets his heart focus on of this moment when he, on bended knee, receives this crown. Church, Paul longs to be with Jesus. Do you know how you give it all? You really love the one who gave it all. Do you know how you don't lose focus? You love the one that never loses focus of you. You long for the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, there are difficulties. And no, the Christian life, it's not just marked by struggle. But guys, it's marked by struggle. Poured out is a drink offering. It's not just marked by sacrifice. But guys, it's marked by sacrifice. One day, we will see the beauty of the risen Lord. 
He is true. He is faithful. He is right. And Paul is putting himself in that place and he's saying, I'm going to live well. I'm going to live well. And it's granting him this moment where he has lived long. It wasn't living easy, but it was living well. And because of that, he lived better. And now what awaits him? This beautiful crown. This language of crown, you might know this, it literally connects to likely here an athlete. An athlete, upon running a race, if they won, would receive a wreath or a crown. And that was meant to mark like gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal, things like that. Here you see Paul using crown as a language to give reference to this future bestowment of God. It makes me think of another crown, a way more famous crown. It's a crown you and I have likely heard of before. It's the crown that Jesus wore on the day of his crucifixion. You see, on the day of Jesus' death, he had been tortured, he had been beaten, he had been scourged, he had been mocked, he had been betrayed. But there's this moment where they place a crown on him. Now this crown, this crown would have been marked by likely a rose bush with thorns two inches long. These would have been hard thorns. It would have been placed on him by a Roman guard, would have gone to put it on his head. Now the thorns would have been so sharp, they would have created so much blood in cutting that the Roman soldier would not have been able to place it with his head. If not, his, head, his hand excuse me, would be shredded. He would have used a broom or a stick to come and to place it on the Savior's head, to push it down to where the thorns would have brought about the blood to bleed. Likely so much bleeding, Jesus would have had a hard time clearing his eyes. Church, we long for Christ. Why? For me, for you. He took a crown of thorns. He took way more than that. He was torn from the Father. But he took a crown of thorns. Why? So for his glory, for the redemption of humanity, and for you and me, that we might receive a crown of righteousness. Because he's good. He's kind. He's faithful. We long for that. We long to be with him. We long to love him more. We long to love his appearing, knowing the crown of righteousness that awaits us. We fight to live well so that we can have the privilege of dying well. Living a life where we look back in reflection, if we so have that privilege, but where we look back in reflection and say, look at what he's done. It was worth it. I want to do more. It was so true. I was poured out as a drink offering. He poured everything. I fought the good fight. The agony was worth it. The glory is there. I've run the race. I'm dying righteously tired, but having run well. I kept the faith. I guarded the truth. He has been my God till the end. With his underlying motive, I've longed for him. And now I will see him. I am his. He is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Living well grants you the privilege of dying well. How do we do it though? Practically, what does that look like in your life? The first theme that we talked about from verse 6 was you got to give it all. Here's what that looks like. Giving it all means living as a sacrifice. It means living sacrificially. This is relationally. This is financially. This is with your job, your time. How do you know if you're living sacrificially? You live to a point where it hurts. You give. You love. You forgive. You serve to a point where it hurts. Here's what I would do. 
You pick one category, relationships, finances, um, forgiveness, friendships, whatever it might be, discipleship in the home. Lean into the point where there's a pain point where the only reason you're doing it is to glorify God because you know if it was just up to you, you wouldn't want to keep going. How do you come and not lose focus? You need to remember that the world is competing for your attention. It is constantly trying to tell you your purpose, your direction, your drive. Here's why you exist. You exist for the glory of God and the good of man to make disciples. It is not so you can leave an amazing retirement and an endowment to your kids. It is not so you can climb the corporate ladder. It is not so you can be the best mom on the face of the planet and everybody knows it. It is not so you can get married and have all the kids that you want. It's not so that you can go to the right college, you get the right job, whatever that is. That's not your purpose. Your focus is to love Christ and then live for him. Finally, long for him. Best way I know to do this is, guys, prayer, it's true. God answers it. It's real. He hears it. Ask him to grow your love for him all the time. God, help me to love you more than what I do. And Father, help me to understand how you love me more than what I know. You want to long for him. Ask for his help. He loves helping his people. Church, I want to die well. I need your help living well. Church, I want you, hypothetically, if you get it, to die well. I want to help you live well. Here's what we are called to do. We live well so we can be granted this privilege of dying well to where we can come and we can say for the glory of God, I was poured out. My time has come. I have fought the good fight. I've run this race. I have kept the faith and I will receive the crown of righteousness that he died for and I will love his appearing. Let me pray that we would do that. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the beauty of it, how it just enlivens the soul and helps me to come alive. May that be true of our body. May we just know living for you is better than everything, that this is what we want to read in integrity. We will not be perfect. We will have some regrets. Sin is real. We need your help. But we want to fight. We want to run We want to watch over. We want to love. We want to be poured out as a sacrifice. May that be our legacy. May we live well, knowing you've secured our eternity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you all so much for joining us as we're working our way through 2 Timothy. I can't wait to be back with you guys next week. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you soon.